0: You know I've enjoyed us talking about the Old Testament and making sure that we connected the Old Testament with the Gospels. As we move to the Pauline literature, a uh, primary focal point is 1 Corinthians 7, so that's where we are right mm-hmm. now. I, I think it's interesting, and I always make this point whenever I teach about these issues, that I, I always make sure I reference the very first part of the first verse, now concerning the things about which you wrote. Absolutely. He's writing in context. And I always think that's, that's always something important I want to bring out. Mm-hmm. But in 1 Corinthians 7, we, we, we get a lot of our material on, on how we interpret divorce and remarriage in our church life today. And also singleness. And also singleness. That's, no, that's exactly right. That's right. very good. That's right. Mm-hmm. No, that's right. Just about marriage, isn't it? Mm-hmm. So, um, Andreas, just talk us through this a little bit. What's Paul writing about?
1: What's he saying to us? I'm glad you you already you know kicked us off there, saying at this point in the letter to the Corinthians, there's a bit of a you know shifting of mm-hmm. gears, uh, as is signaled by the phrase now concerning the matters uh, about which he wrote. So this is a question they brought to right. him, and so when he quotes uh, that phrase, it is good for a man, not to have sexual relations with a woman, that was probably a slogan, something that yeah. they had heard and, mm-hmm. and that had gotten some traction there in Corinth. And so it seems like the, again, the historical setting, just like with Matthew 19 being right. so critical to understanding this. So if we're right, that this is essentially a teaching that says it's somehow more spiritual to not have sex, to maybe even not get married. Uh, then Paul is here responding as follows. He's essentially saying, okay, now if you're not already married, fine. As a matter of fact, I'm unmarried myself. If you can handle it right now, if you can't handle it, then you ought to get married because it's better to marry than to burn, right? right? But then he says, now if you're married already, now of course don't get a divorce, sure. right? Just to be somehow more spiritual, which by the way is not why most people today want to get a divorce. Right. <laughs> so it's a little bit of a different situation. Yeah. Uh, but he also is saying now, also don't refrain from sexual intercourse in marriage. He says, well, for a season, right? For fasting and prayer, but then come back together lest the devil, you know, Satan tempts you. Sure. So I think to me, understanding the historical setting makes perfect sense of Paul's counsel to all those different groups of people. Uh, and I think that's the context where he then says, I don't want someone to divorce their spouse, right. you know, for this kind of illegitimate, reason because this is not a
2: biblical teaching, right? right. That,
1: that sex is somehow inferior and marriage is inferior. right? And so he's kind of countering that.
2: It's yeah. amazing that already this early in the life of the Church you've got extremes on both oh, ends. Oh, yeah. yes. So, you've got the immorality back in chapter 5 and yeah. 6 and then you have this asceticism that has reared its ugly head Absolutely. here in chapter 7. And it's, it, I think it's again an indication, John, because we live in a fallen broken world the good things that god gives us we always find a way of messing them up so you take the issue of of sexual intimacy which is a good thing within the covenant of marriage between a man and a woman, we mess it up on one side with asceticism, or we mess it up on the other side with immorality. Right. And of course, we see, mm-hmm. unfortunately, in our culture today, the immorality side uh, dominating, whereas in uh, medieval period, it was the asceticism side. And they mm-hmm. were deemed, as Andrea started a moment ago, yeah. somehow more spiritual, more godly, mm-hmm. closer to the Lord. When Paul says in actuality, and none of that's true. Mm-hmm. God gives people for singleness, Different gifts. sometimes for a season, sometimes for a life, mm-hmm. God gifts us for marriage, whichever gift He gives you, pursue that according to His plan for His glory and ultimately for our good.
1: Mm-hmm. And John, I think there's one other thing that's important to understand here which is that the prohibition of divorce in right. the earlier verses is primarily directed to that context. Because as we'll see then, Paul goes on to a second scenario which is when somebody is married, right? Mm-hmm. Presumably, uh Not a believer at the time of marriage and then converted to Christ and then the spouse refusing to continue in the marriage. Right. Uh, And of course at that point he's saying, Divorce is legitimate, so clearly earlier on, he's not having a, some sort of absolute prohibition right. of divorce under any circumstances. Uh, and so, I love the logic. I think it's completely, uh, you know, commonsensical for Paul to say, well, if the unbelieving spouse is willing to continue, great, because the children, right, still grow up in a Christian home. Sure, uh, you know, they're sanctified, as it were. But if the unbelieving spouse is unwilling to continue, well, then the Believing spouse is now bound and bound with some sort of technical term, in terms of you know a divorce not being allowed. Uh, so at that point, that would be now the second case. Yeah. In mm-hmm. addition to Matthew 19, mm-hmm. where Scripture. Jesus and Paul would uh, allow not require but allow for divorce and I believe for remarriage yes, as well. Right. And notice here it's even Paul says that this is what he says not the Lord. So he added something here simply because Jesus didn't have occasion to apparently yeah, he's not address that by situation. the way
2: a canon against a canon as if Jesus' words carry more weight than my words under the inspiration of the Spirit. Just Jesus didn't address this. I'm now adding to the subject and speaking to an issue in particular that you guys are concerned about that Jesus when He spoke to it did not address.
0: Yeah. And so when we start looking at this idea of, ab- of abandonment yes. or this idea of, of the unbelieving spouse walking away. So, so we would say that a biblically justified divorce, uh, you know, just like we were talking about pernia mm-hmm. or adultery or right. the bigger meaning of pernia. So how would, you, how would you describe this? How would you put this in terms today? What are you calling this? Are you calling this abandonment or what are we calling this? Well I think
2: that is what he's speaking of a uh, unbelieving spouse abandoning the believing spouse, breaking the covenantal relationship. Again if you come to me and this is your situation I'm going to ask questions that will hopefully give us the possibility of reconciliation. Is there a way we can go back in and you continue to work at this for their redemption, for Mm -hmm. reconciliation of your marriage and so on. But you're not bound. Mm -hmm. And if they have walked away and they have broken the relationship, then Mm -hmm. you are free. I agree with Andreas completely. Mm -hmm. You are free to divorce. And I think you are free also to marry in the Lord. And so God would again, would allow you the freedom to seek out a believing spouse for a future mate. Because as Paul
1: uh, makes the point here that there is no guarantee that the unbelieving spouse will necessarily convert to Christ. And so, uh, you know, there comes trust
2: in the sovereignty of God, That's where 1 Peter 3 kind of comes in where he tells the unbelieving wife that by your lifestyle of godliness you you won't win him by a word Mm -hmm. but you'll win him by the transformed life that he cannot deny. I think that uh, again that complements, there's no sense in which Peter and Paul are at odds with each other. What Paul says here and what Peter says there beautifully match up quite well with one another.
0: Right. Right. And it is really interesting because you do see this incredible transition from say verse 10 and 11 to verse 12. I mean, where, Uh you know, because if, and it's a great lesson, I think, in preaching and teaching to where don't, don't, Proof text. Don't don't stop short of the entire context of the discussion because if you just preach verses ten and eleven, <laughs> exactly, and you don't go but to the yeah. rest, I say, <laughs>
1: there's a historical setting. There's a literary flow of exactly. the argument.
0: Both of them, yeah, mm-hmm. and a theological context of the whole That's of scripture. Right. Absolutely, mm-hmm. and so it's interesting that that through that we see uh, this this permission then for remarriage to occur. Uh, in these in these kinds of circumstances again though we we certainly Paul never diminishes the ideal you know, He never, no, he never exactly. takes away from, again, what Genesis 2 would have uh, originally uh, We're presented. always
2: aspiring to get back to that. Mm-hmm. And exactly. in Christ we can, even in our relationship of marriage where divorce is not even on the screen, again, we don't deny that Genesis 3 impacts our marriages yeah. day after day after day. But we're always aspiring to get back to uh, what it was like before the fall. Mm-hmm. And again, through Christ, Ephesians 5, Colossians 3 helps us see this is what redeemed righteousness look like. They sure look a whole lot like what things were apparently taking place right. in Genesis 1 and 2. You
1: know, so, and as Dr. Aiken mentioned earlier, the, the, the intriguing thing is that uh, Paul trying to clarify uh, in this context, gave him an opportunity to talk about singleness Yes. more than really interestingly Jesus talked about singleness, right? And the gift of, of singleness in, 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 or celibacy in Matthew 19 and Paul does so here as well. And uh, it's interesting in, in God, Marriage and Family I, I, I studied kind of the Biblical theology of singleness and in the Old Testament it seems like the norm is marriage. Right. And it's only in Jesus and Paul's teaching that you begin to see singleness as a spiritual gift Mm -hmm. for kingdom purposes that God can use. And so I think that's another thing that we ought not to overlook, just to reiterate, just because we're interested in the topic of divorce and remarriage. Mm -hmm. This is some of the most important teaching on singleness, so anybody who's watching this, you know, who's unmarried, maybe he has a gift of celibacy. Uh, this is ought to be hugely encouraging, you know, the gift that God has given them to, uh, you know, like my college roommate who's been a missionary ever since he graduated from college in the Philippines, mm-hmm. you know, and I've seen him single-mindedly serve the Lord sure. without any
0: encumbrances sure. whatsoever. And sometimes, contextually, and especially in America, maybe we probably haven't been very affirming of no, you're, um, this you're, idea what's wrong of with you? Yeah. Uh, why are you why, aren't you, why yeah. aren't
2: you married? When the yeah. fact of matter is, the Bible speaks very highly mm-hmm. of those that God gives this gift. Because again, they are free to just simply serve the Lord with mm-hmm. an abandonment mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. those of us who are married and have kids can't do. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's simply not possible for us. And it shouldn't be. We we should not be serving the Lord as if our spouse and children do not exist. Mm-hmm. Exactly the single just simply has that advantage and it's an affirm it's an affirmed lifestyle very clearly both by Jesus and by Paul.
0: Yeah. But certainly a gift, certainly a special yes, gift. Yes.
2: If you don't have the gift, then you go back to what Andrea said earlier in chapter seven, the first verses, it's, it's better to marry than to burn with passion and exactly. lust because that leads you into sin. Mm-hmm. And so if you don't have this gift, and again, that's a good practical point, John, I don't want to chase this too far. We have a lot of men today that don't want to grow up. Right. A lot of men that have male bodies, but they act like little boys mm-hmm. and they hesitate, they put off, they delay the idea of pursuing mm-hmm. a godly made mm-hmm. for life. And, and I want to challenge them to get rid of that kind of thinking. That may be something that's a result of the cultural influences mm-hmm. that we're having to deal with, but it's certainly not something that I think you find grounded in Scripture. Mm-hmm. And so if you don't have that gift then you're going to struggle to maintain your sexual purity. Marriage is one avenue whereby God helps us maintain sexual purity because marriage becomes the rightful context then for the expression of sexual intimacy which God gives the vast majority of us. Right.
1: Exactly, and lengthening that period prior to entering into marriage makes things only more difficult.
0: Absolutely, right. Well, before we leave Paul, and and we're going to address this more specifically, actually in a whole other session with another guest, to some degree. But but when you look at Timothy and you look at Titus and you look at the qualifications for leaders in the church. Uh, it, we would be amiss if we didn't say a word be- before mm-hmm. you left us, especially Andreas, about just... Well, he's written on the pastorals. R- right. And so, <laughs> yeah, what have you not written on? That? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> That's an no. even better question. Yeah. No, okay. <laughs> so, but, not much. Uh, and I, I own most of them, I think. Uh, mm-hmm. But And I appreciate it. So. Um, but, but when we talk about that one woman man idea, this right. faithful husband idea of, of a leader of these qualifications for elders or deacons, et cetera, mm-hmm. just, just give us some comments there. Well,
1: it's just part of the family qualifications which are so prominent, right? And I think that's noteworthy, right? Talking about marriage and family that for church leaders, Paul puts a premium mm-hmm. on their, uh, you know, their marriage, and on their children and him managing his household well. And again, I think on a practical level, you know, as as you're often bringing us back to just the practical uh, implications, I think sometimes in churches when we're looking at prospective elders, maybe we don't give enough attention to the man's marriage or family. Maybe we're a little bit reluctant to pry, you know, too much into their family lives. But I think we, we need to because he talks about the devil uh, you know, uh, certainly tempting, especially new converts and so right. forth. Uh, so it relates to a man's character, mm-hmm. to be to be faithful to his wife, uh, not just externally, but you know, from the heart to, to cherish his wife to uh, Ephesians 5.
0: Mm-hmm. Are those phrases specifically talking about divorce? No. Do you think? Yeah.
1: Uh, there would have been another way to, to word it. Right. Uh, so I think we're back to. What we've already talked about, Matthew 19, 1 Corinthians 7, those would be the potentially biblically legitimate uh, grounds for divorce. And so when we you know, talk about uh, scripture, interpreting scripture, we, we, we put this together with, with the faithful husband re- re- requirement.
0: Now certainly someone who's been divorced would raise the bigger issue of, of why yeah. and family and And, right. and there I behind. think we're
1: still back to the question, uh, you know, is the divorce legitimate? Sure. Is it, was he the victim of, of spousal unfaithfulness abandonment or was he actually the perpetrator?
0: Mm-hmm. So uh-huh. you don't go wholesale decision on any of that you have to, you have to No, read you and it. I would say, it, the- I would say all
2: of it flows out of that very first requirement of mm-hmm. being above reproach. Mm-hmm. And so that's a question for me that is even more overarching than all the other things and all the others feed into that. Mm-hmm. But if there is a divorce involved, has this person now demonstrated over a sufficient period of time that they are indeed faithful in their family life, faithful to their mate, so that I would be comfortable. That's kind of my very practical rule of thumb, John. Would I be comfortable with my wife and children sitting under the ministry right. of this particular person? And that tends to clarify the question pretty quickly, at least it
0: does for me. Sure, that's great. Well, I I want us to do one more uh, little session together, and I want us to talk about some practical resources, some helps for pastors and teachers, and obviously I want to call attention to your work as well. So we're going to do that in our next uh, session together.